People, people. People are racist. People are racist. Like our race is the good one, and the rest <laughs> of you, like, it, that's what everyone's a bit racist. Yeah. Um, until, hopefully, until their son or daughter falls in love with someone who's of that race, and then they meet an individual, or that what you said before, they have an experience, a personal experience, and then everyone becomes a person again. Yeah. And that's, I'm sure that's all it is. It's like how to simplify the great unknown so that I can feel safe in thinking that I know what it is. Yeah. And it's, it's messy to, to not do that. Totally. Totally. So messy. But I, then I come back to like a cave where if I have been, if my dance, my ability to dance has been activated by hip-hop culture Mm -hmm. that got to me in Darwin that came through the bodies of these Filipino and Singaporean boys who appropriated who at which point and can I rhyme along with Fat Man Scoop because that is not like it becomes as embedded in my cultural Mm self-identity because I'm doing the moves and hanging out with the people and speaking the language and listening to the music, even though it's like very distant and a commercialized version of such or an Australianized version or a whiteized version, even though I'm the only white guy in my crew. <laughs> like at what point are we hanging out and actually just saying to each other in the break crew, what we hear our idols say to each other. Um, for versus, example, versus, so when is it appropriation versus appreciation is um, a big one. And like, when, like, when am I? I'm only using myself as an example. I actually don't struggle with it as much because I think most of the time we just adapt to what we're around mm-hmm. and we just speak in the language that we're spoken to so mm-hmm. that we can best continue the conversation. But it's like not swearing most of the time, but then you hang around your swearing friends. And you're yeah. like, oh, well, I guess these are, this is the vocabulary that we're you using. You just pick up that vernacular, don't and you? And there is hip-hop vernacular and hip-hop vocabulary. Mm-hmm. And when I'm hanging out with Nick Power, things are either whack or dope. Yeah. <laughs> so true. <laughs> They're not innovative and visceral yeah. <laughs> or irrelevant and um, offensive. Yeah. The, the shit is really whack or dope. Yeah. But I don't talk to my dad like that. Totally. Yeah. I think um, I read, I, I, I wrote somewhere, um, I remember sort of coming to this conclusion where I'm like, you know, if you are of the majority and mm. you're taking romanticized elements mm. and picking and choosing of the minority mm. who are marginalized mm. and you're putting it on yourself for purposes of fashion or pop culture mm. and that's the end of it that's not cool. Mm. I think that's that's the point at which people are like, no, you, I don't like you wearing that chief headdress mm. to this festival versus if you're just like, I'm, I'm sort of like embracing this part of another culture from a place of just like thinking it's really awesome and it's resonating with me on a, on mm. some sort of level. It makes me feel a certain way and I, I hope to endeavor to continually learn about it and respect it. That's cool. You, the countries, I mean, the world is globalized. This globalization is happening at too fast a rate and it just is happening. Yeah. You can't just be like, I'm white, therefore I will only be white. <laughs> I know. And, and what I'm, the hell is that anyway? What, yeah, what even is because that? Because <laughs> I am represented to anybody who comes, who visits Australia and buys a souvenir, I am represented as either 
the white person with the white man with a beer belly that wears a blue singlet and yeah. a hat with corks yeah. or like the, the sunburnt white person with blonde hair surfing. Yeah. That's my two options for representation to the rest of the world. Totally. And if I, even though I'm in the majority, I'm still misrepresented. Yeah. As an individual. Yeah. Uh, and as someone who's reflective about my own culture and way to move through the world or whatever. So there's like a thing in that where I really was connecting with what you said before about throughout your teens rejecting the culture that you're inheriting because yeah. it doesn't sit well with you or what you think you should be or what you think you can be and and that comes down to media portrayal i was never shown a dark-skinned person until beyonce that was cool yeah right you know crazy yeah yeah whereas the the white men that i see on tv are people like james packer right yeah yeah white people are really villainized these days well, they've done some shit. They've done some shit, but I just don't think... I don't see it as conducive to no, world peace, which is true. what I, I want. Well, it's like you were saying before about the girls in the hip-hop shame doesn't actually help us to come together and dance. No. Yeah. No shame. Do you, you must have other projects going on, though, apart from dementia and apart from groove therapy. So there's this one with the Aboriginal kids, and then there's one with the refugee girls. And is that still a groove therapy? Or yeah, yeah, it falls yeah. under groove therapy. Yeah. Then there's one that we are looking into. I've got a meeting on Monday with um, kids with disabilities. Mm-hmm. There's one that we're looking into in Melbourne with um, homeless and displaced kids, many of whom have issues with gender identification. Wow. I wouldn't teach that one. I'd probably get yeah, someone, someone from the trans community. Embedded. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, to teach that one. Yeah. Um, and then... Groove Therapy does a lot of freelance work. Like we get, because we just get freelance. So things for music video clips or mm. gigs. And usually um, I've got a I've got a group of so many dancers that mm. are dying to perform who I just usually give, it's almost like an informal agency. So I'll just get jobs, pay jobs for dancers awesome. and then Groove Therapy keeps this 20% or whatever. Yeah, so it can keep going. Yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. I, I don't feel guilty at all about um, talking about the fact that I get paid. I had someone... So someone wants to do this show, this contemporary piece, and bring it to Sydney, and they want Groove Therapy to present it. And I was like, oh, look, this venue that we had our sights on is going to be $400 for the whole day of, you know, setting it up plus the thing. She's like, oh, you know, but if we sold sold these tickets at $15 a head, like... 25 people came we could break even so it would it should be fine and i was like i don't do break even anymore mm-hmm. and i was like you put you're putting so much effort into this this is a piece you showed in london mm-hmm. and you're coming here to break even you know i'm not doing yeah. i'm not putting that kind of effort to break even so like i do not feel ashamed about the fact that groove therapy makes money like and that i'm happy to charge really good rates for the right things mm-hmm. you know has that been a process to get uh, to that point. I think it helps being Stefan's girlfriend yeah. in that he gets paid, he gets paid, ex- well, exceptional rates, but he makes films for Google. Yeah. So, but then you get used to that and you're, you know, yeah. um, asking for $80 an hour is peanuts compared to that. And then you actually sit down and think about how much effort goes into driving there, prepping for a class, getting a playlist. And you're like, I deserve that. Yeah. Or more, no, I deserve much more than that. <laughs> Let's hope I make more than 80 bucks an hour for like, yeah, anyway. 
um, certain thing. And then there's other projects where I'm like, I really believe in this. I don't need to get paid. And mm. so the refugee program at first, I did uh, um, free trials mm. just to make sure that they were on board. I wrote a huge yeah. proposal. Like it took a lot of effort. And then the hourly rate in the end isn't incredible, but it's good, mm. you know? So it's that, that's sort of my, that's my thing with all. So yeah, group therapy is my full-time thing. Amazing. And then I dance. That's my big one. And I dance. Like as in to keep myself, to keep myself um, emotionally charged. Yeah. Because um, I teach how many? I teach one hour Tuesday, one hour Wednesday, four hours Thursday, two, three, four. And then, yeah, that's it for now, six hours a week. And then I do a lot of freelance and, my, and all my other stuff. But those six hours emotionally yeah they take their time drain me and now that we're starting all these new <clears throat> programs um and i do a lot of relief teaching as i think they drain me like you have to give a piece of your soul every time you te- teach these classes especially if you're yeah, dementia so and refugee like you can't just show up and be apathetic so no. um so what is it emotional labor yeah it oh my god between that and sitting in traffic <laughs> Don't you think just driving for a long time? Because yeah. the disadvantaged groups are not central. They're not in Darlinghurst. No. Oh, if only. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> yeah, so I've got to travel like sometimes between one and two hours one mm. way mm. to go somewhere. So, you know, you have to believe in what you do, but you're dead by yeah. the end of it, you yeah. know. Is there something that is not happening yet that you want to... You want to make happen? I want all of these things to run without me. Yeah. I want other teachers to just take over the whole thing. And then I just want to be able to, um, I want to eventually be able to sort of, I want, first of all, more te- dancers to teach all of these communities. And they need to be reminded that the world's bigger than them yeah. and that the spotlight can be shared. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I, you get to pay people for doing something good, you know. Mm. It's, that's the that's I want groove therapy running on its own with that. So it's to the point where I don't need to be here. Mm. Um, so that's already in the process with the Melbourne groove therapy. Awesome. Yeah, just insane, super nerve wracking and amazing. And um, I just want to be able to. Next step is to buy a house and move out of a city and just go. Yeah, zen out. That's like my big thing. Um, and Just then, say Shanti with all the yeah, Byron Bay hippies. Oh my God, kill me! <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I think a, I think a, I think a big thing is to like I want to have a family in the next four years or so, mm-hmm. four to five years, and I don't want to be a workaholic when that's happening. Because mm, you will be. Yeah. Already. I already am. I work insane hours. You just um, swap over from being a dance workaholic to a mum workaholic. Yeah, totally. That's a that's a big one for me. Um, and I want groove therapy to become international. Mm. Like if we can run in Melbourne and Sydney, why can't it run in New York and London? And yeah. I have friends there. Yeah. Incredible friends. Like so that's a that's I guess the the dream and the next thing and I, I hope it never no matter how big or how much it plateaus or whatever it is i hope it never loses it the integrity that i started off it has to have heart yeah always it's an easy thing to lose sight of when how do you how do you make all of that happen and keep the heart um again my partner <laughs> <laughs> i think he's a real good he's a real good i guess 
check in. I think also other people that I don't, that I see who do similar sorts of things and I just don't, I don't buy it. Yeah. And I'm, and it makes me think I never want to be like that. Mm. I never want someone to look at, oh, I don't, not that I never want someone to look at that and not believe what I'm doing. Like people are still not going to believe what I'm doing, whatever. I don't care, but I just, um, so there's, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of things. I think to be honest, it's just, it's a feeling. Yeah, it is a feeling because you can do the thing. Uh, you can do all the stuff around the thing. And sometimes the, the dance class or the groove or the, or the moves or the steps or whatever is actually the work around but the thing that you're actually doing is bringing people together yeah. to get them out of their heads for a little while yeah. or into their bodies or, or connect in a way that is not about planting a flag in the ground about your opinion politically or yeah. socioeconomically or anything like that. Totally. And just, yeah, you just also know. Like I feel like if you're spending more time mm. marketing yourself and on your and your personal brand then you are going out there mm. into these communities and working with these people you gotta you gotta recheck mm. you gotta you know bring it back to that so it's not like i've done these another thing i'm really mindful of and it has to have heart at this point is that um apart from the tenant creek sort of project which i hope to go back i don't like to just cowboy through no. a community teach um of one or a few namesake classes and then just like bounce out bounce out and yeah. then get a bunch of publicity for it because like i said i have to just simply write a facebook status and i i will get the publicity mm-hmm. i just have to be like anyone want to write about this yeah. um so i got a flood of people when i said that with the refugee thing the reason i wanted publicity for them is because urban diversity services needs the publicity right. and and we need the funding yeah. and in the great thing that's come out of that is that amnesty international reached out through wow. an article that was written about about it cool. and they you know asked um they're asking a bunch of creatives to to come together and put their skills and ideas forward as to how they can use creativity to affect change yeah. in things they believe in. so like that's and then then i wrote to amnesty was like you know of course i'd love to for these reasons obvious reasons but are there any organizations that you can reach out to that work with refugee girls that might like to come to this class it's free and they were like yeah and they said like 18 awesome. like a list of 18 so, so in that that's what i needed i needed yeah. more girls to come and yeah. i needed funding and i needed um publicity so that's why i put it up there otherwise um yeah. people hit me it. up all the time for x y and z and i'm like nah <laughs> i guess it's about who you're serving as well yeah like when you know that you've got something that you're putting all of yourself into mm-hmm then you have to be aware about who is it serving to be involved with that and what what of what of them is it serving yeah is it serving uh, a business interest or a a um, prestige interest or is it serving a community wellness is it serving actual wellness mm-hmm. totally yeah, yeah. And I think also because I'm getting paid at the end of the day for m- most of the projects that I'm doing mm. and I'm making a profit from my classes and I'm so vocal about it and so happy to talk about that and I'm not ashamed of it. Mm. I think when people talk about social enterprise 
or anything that gives back to the community. They're like, but you're not allowed to make profit. I'm like, well, how come Nike is then? How come McDonald's allowed to make profit and no one questions it? But, you know, the second Oxfam might make a profit. Everyone's like, ooh, how dare you? People need to stop thinking like that. Because if you can run a business that gives back to community and people are getting paid well, not getting paid like McDonald's and Oxfam, obviously, but if you can give back and you can offer a CEO position of a social enterprise that yeah. competes with that of Nike, yeah. you can have the best. The best, exactly. You can have the cream of the crop. Yeah. And Working for you. Snowball. It will snowball. If you can pump out millions of dollars in your marketing campaign, you will get at times whatever mm-hmm. back in profit. So mm-hmm. it's kind of one of those things where it's like you know, I I really I'm really big on like taking the stigma out of valuing yourself and your worth. Yeah. Financially. I guess the lucky thing is that you have the. Um, the incentive outside of financial incentive yeah. and that's that would be the tricky thing about keeping as things expand keeping making sure that each person that comes brings soul with them yeah that's a that big one the that all of those things any any logistical financial or asset based uh, rewards are to enable continuation of the thing. That's true. Not as a driver for the action itself. That's true. That's so true. Because I'm not making a, like a huge amount of money. It's just it's I'm just not broke. That's no. what it is. <laughs> and Do isn't you know, that nice? It's so it's like it's one of those things. Where it's like I can pay rent and it's yeah. not. It doesn't. I don't cringe and I can buy groceries and I, I can go out to cafes and th- that's it. I'm not living some amazing lifestyle. But I think that's the other thing. Mm. I just don't, I don't care to be rich, but I'm so happily sustainable at this point. And the other thing is the amount of things I tried before I decided to become a dancer. Mm. I only really pursued dance as a career in middle of last year. Mm. So before that, it was just teaching every now and then at different dance schools for, for pocket money and getting this accidental experience from it. In the same way that you might work at Coles for pocket money, right? Yeah, yeah. But um, I went to uni for seven years. Whoa. I went to design school for a year and I graduated from all the above. I didn't pursue any of those careers. I tried to start a fair trade online homewares business from people, for artisans in India. Mm-hmm. Total fail. Um, <laughs> like I got rid of all the stuff on Gumtree eventually. That was like, it was a total fail. Um, and then I tried to be a stylist and art yeah. director. And I remember just always saying to my boyfriend, like, yeah, and then I'm going to make this thing. It's going to be really cool. Like, that was my thing. Like, what yeah. was cool and what was trendy? It didn't work. Mm-hmm. And then when everything crashed for me, I just went to dance class to make myself feel better. And by the end of class, the teacher came up to me and was like, I've never seen you around before. We've got this job coming up. Do you want this job? But, and it just snowballed from there. And I was like, I'm just going to go with dance. And that's how I went with dance. Like, I know this is what I'm familiar with. I always rejected the idea of being a dancer because I was told until I decided to to forge my own path that being a dancer was to be Beyonce's backup dancer. And I'm like, why would you work that hard to be the most forgettable prop in one of her... Yeah, the costumes are more lauded than the, than the dancers. I don't remember any of... I could not recognise most of the dancers in any video clip. Although, I did go to a Missy Elliott concert many years ago, and halfway through the show, she introduced each one of her dancers by name. And yeah. they each had a little set that they had choreographed on themselves so that they had a moment to be known. 
to yeah. us as but them. Even that didn't appeal to me. Yeah. I think because I was so qualified through, I came from such a background of academia yeah, right. that I didn't want to be what known as the dancer. Years? I did law and commerce. Okay. Yeah. What you're supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, what you're what I'm supposed <laughs> to do. That's why my parents were so um, supportive in the end. Because I was like, I think I, my mom actually always was like, you should start a dance class business. You could make so much money from that. That was like mom's like Asian Indian, you mm-hmm. know, like that, that Indian mentality of like, it, it can make money mm-hmm. if you, if you play your cards right. So when I turned around, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a dancer. I'm going to start dance classes. My mom was like, cool, you got your law degree. I'm sweet. Like if, if it all fails, you've got your law degree. Just walk in. And, and the second thing was, she was just like, I think you're really talented at what you do, which is really cool that mum believed in me to that extent. Mm-hmm. And she was also like, you've got the smarts to, and, and the work ethic mm-hmm. to make it happen. Um, and then, yeah, so that's, that's, I think, a big part of why I was able, when you're in law school and you're around that caliber of work ethic. Mm, it's crazy. It's, it? You don't even think twice about running yourself into the ground. And then I went to a wedding recently. I, spoke, I saw all these people from uni. And it's like, what do you do? It's like, oh, I'm just engineering. Oh, I'm just doing law. Like, uh, like that's it. That, like, Steph was just like, it blows my mind because our group of friends here are all creative. And, then, and like, these people are making heaps of money and that's how they describe what they do. Yeah. And all of them are like, I see you on social media. It's so great. I'm like, well, what are you doing? They're like, oh, and they're embarrassed. And I'm like, they're embarrassed to tell you that they're like, they've like, pursued law or mm. pursued their 60 grand hex debt that they can actually pay off <laughs> congrats dude congrats <laughs> yeah wow yeah <laughs> there's a curveball for you there's no it seems like everybody's everybody has curveballs yeah as soon as you meet them actually totally when you actually meet them yeah I just need to go to the bathroom really quickly. Can I have like a, a two minute break? Yeah, you can have as many minutes break as you need. That tea. <laughs>
All right. Did you just leave that running? You can edit all of that out, can't you? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm wary of your time, though. Yep. Because it's quarter to two. It's a pretty long interview. You've got your editing ahead of you there. Um, do you think you can succinctly... Mm-hmm. 25 words or less. <laughs> yeah. Say what it is, what it is in a more meta way, like that, that you're doing or that you're busy with working on or working through or working with, that you're busy with trying to act action or think about or because there are the logistics that you're doing mm-hmm. running the classes or whatever engaging these people but then there's like this like mission this, statement like I, the big yeah, overall the yeah. elevator pitch I don't know. <laughs> not, no it's not even it's like the quit that it's like you ask someone i think what is it the i think the tactic is something like seven seven times the same question and each time you get right. closer to what's really going on yes like, what are you doing putting your shoes on but what are you actually doing well i'm sitting down but what are you actually doing i'm giving into gravity but like and there's you get yeah. deeper with each one so what are you doing or what are you working on or what are you focused on trying to do or think about i guess making dance accessible mm. to all walks of life mm. right and just like letting people express or find something Mm. it's not for me to tell them what through dance because that's what i i I guess that's what saved me when everything just went to shit (laughs) so i'm like yeah really badly Mm. like i just like I, i was fired from this one job and then house situation was weird and relationship situation was weird. I'd just come to Sydney. Like I was being mm-hmm. eaten alive. I couldn't pay rent. Like it was really shit. Yeah. And I just did not know what I wanted to do. So, and I didn't really have friends at that point. I was, it was just really awful. Everything was really rock bottom. And the second I went to dance, everything was just like almost instantly fine. Mm. Yeah. Cause like, cause I just had a bunch of people turn around and be like, "Whoa, that's really shit." Hey, there's this festival on. Do you want to perform at it? Like, do you want to like, to, like you know, relief teach for this and and then just all of a sudden, just everything just like got all this traction, and then I could use so many lessons from all my failures. Like I now know how to write a you know a press release. I now know how to art direct a photo shoot for. So that's how I could get photo shoots and stuff done for for group therapy so easily and. Yeah, so just so many things like that. So lucky, all those failures. Yeah, so lucky. I could build a website for groove therapy because I made that failed um, online homeware store. (laughs) Yes. Yes. (laughs) So an overnight success is many, many years of failure. So many years of failure. And like like brilliant failures, like like with flying colors. Wow. Yeah, so I think people, it's not fun at the time. Okay. And then in retrospect, you're like, wow, like I needed that stuff, you know? So if what you're doing is to, is getting people dancing. That's it. <laughs> how? Um, getting people dancing by not worrying so much, I mm. think. I think it's, it's, it's so psychological. Mm. And without going into detail, my tactic as far as a psychological tactic as a teacher mm. um, changes completely based on the community of people I'm, I'm with. Yeah. And um, 
yeah, it, that's a really like as a teacher, you are uh, you dictate that class's energy to a huge extent. Yeah, I know that if I'm teaching, if I'm going into a school to teach a bunch of teenage boys, oh, yeah. especially if I'm teaching, if they've been told that they're learning contemporary, then the first thing I need to do is impress them. Yeah. There was once myself and a colleague, Joshua Thompson, we were <clears throat> playing um, feather hockey. I forget what it's actually called. In- I remember feather hockey. Yeah. <laughs> I was incredibly bad. <laughs> but we were at a school um, down in near Bega. Yeah. In a, in and it was just 12 um, year seven boys or year eight boys. So like really at that point where it's challenge central. Yeah. And the hacky got stuck in um, a fluorescent light tube up in yeah. the ceiling. And so Josh and I, without saying a word, assumed a position we had done in a previous show and jumped into a two high. And all of a sudden Josh is on my shoulders. He gets the feather hacky down where he throws it and kicks it from up there. And then you've got everyone. Yeah. Because you're like, all right, we've set some re- somehow, unfortunately, we've established that you can learn from me. Yeah. <laughs> and that I have something that you want to learn. 100%. But then when I, I remember at Tennant Creek, there was a community of girls from, from WA who a lot of them had quite bad hearing loss. Right. Not quite sure what from. And so all I had to do was just not talk to them. Just make the music so loud and be the clown. Yeah. That there's nothing that they could do that was more shame job than what I was doing. Yeah, right. And so it's exactly, exactly that. right. Yeah. It's like li- somehow listening. Yeah. And that's the emotional labor. Reading your class. Yeah. yeah. So that you can serve them in the actual way, not just by doing what it looks like you're doing when you're a teacher, like by uh, lecturing or estolting ast- ast- the, the information. Yeah. But actually finding out how they need to hear you. Okay, so that's how, and then why? Um, why do I do what I do? I feel as though it's my way of positively contributing to humanity mm. in the world. Like my, this is my skill set and my power. Superpower. My superpower, <laughs> my X-Man power. Is <laughs> is a mean, is a good moonwalk. <laughs> not too good to intimidate not too good to intimidate yeah that's what that's exactly why I need to be part of something bigger than myself and that I can't emphasize enough how much that is Stefan's um I guess what's the word influence (laughs) it's a really simple word (laughs) (laughs) um I can't emphasize how much that's his influence because um, if you look at the trajectory of his career mm. and how well it's done, it's because he's, he has said no to the things that don't align with his values, even when he may have needed the money. And he's put his own money into his own passion projects time and time again mm. for their aesthetic. And, and, you know, even if it's just, I just want to work with this thing that's out of my league, I'll buy, I'll spend the money on the equipment to hire it mm. just to test himself and... I don't, and now he's hired all the time by these big corporate jobs, not that are telling him to make some sort of like video of an event or something like that. They're hiring him for his aesthetic. Mm. Like they found him on Vimeo and they're hiring him for what he already does. Yeah. And, and, and then he's at a point where he's like, cool, I'll say yes to all these big corporations and stuff because I'm trying to learn these skill sets on their money. <laughs> <laughs> 
but it always comes back to how am I helping helping the world and, and in a meaningful way. Yeah. I've said no to working with charities before. Yeah. Yeah, because I'm just like, first of all, you're not paying me a good amount for what you're asking me to do, and I don't really see how what you're asking me to do is going to really help. Like just dancing at like your gala night or something. Like I don't really. Yeah. Does Does that make sense? Yeah. I dance. Yeah done a few shows at Garley Nights yeah. and you just don't there are some that you don't do because you know my dad actually was awarded a OAM from the Prime Minister a couple of years ago for his services to the Variety Club which is a charity yeah, yeah, I know yeah. and his all that means is that he knew people who needed something and he knew how to get that something they needed a truck or they needed a container for their um camping equipment or some kids um walker had broken but he had a welder on his in his workshop like a a person who he was employing that welded truck parts back together when he broke them on jobs and so he just took it in like had access and just redistributed the assets that he had amazing yeah and it seems like that's there's nothing at all prestigious about that or glory there's no glory actually in like greasing somebody's ball bearings because that's what you know how to do yeah 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 and you know that they need it done but they're too busy doing the other shit totally and that's when you add real value it's not when yeah it's somehow like it's a measurement of how you can get on the right team that are moving in the right direction for the right reasons yeah and I think all my friends, like I've got another friend who's a doctor, I've got another friend who works in OT with um, children of parents who have mental illness, mm-hmm. severe mental illness. You yeah. can imagine what these kids are going, that's their day in, day out job. So when you're around people of that caliber, yeah. what you're doing is not that amazing. Like, mm. you're just like, yeah, cool. Like, all we all do this stuff. Like, yeah, this which is my is, trade or this is my trade. My, my boyfriend says it perfectly. You're the average of your environment. So, so pick those people carefully. So it's not, it just, it's not even something that I really give that much thought to, Mm -hmm. but you just feel it. Like you feel cringy when you're like, oh, I'm doing this and there's a lot of publicity and it doesn't feel right versus I have to rock up to this thing every day. Like, or I have to rock up. I do this every week. Mm -hmm. So you might see, you might see one video, one heartwarming video with me and these dementia patients, but I'm driving an hour and a half on a Thursday morning in traffic mm. every Thursday morning to go and see them. You don't see every week. So there's like that, there's that sort of like, I guess, integrity that goes without saying amongst my company. Mm. Then they all do it. More than me, so many of them. <laughs> but it's nice to have something to live up to. All the, yeah, all the time. It's really cool. Yeah, I remember quitting a dance company actually because I realised I was only there for the payoff of the performing. Right. And that that was such a small percent, maybe 2% of the amount of time that I was working mm-hmm. was in that mode and the rest of it was in the the being mistreated or whatever. And yeah. then like, actually, let's flip this around. And so do you find that when you say like, because for example, when you did the gift thing or mm. if you're ever like conducting something, mm. do you almost learn more from those experiences in that you're like, I note to self, never be like that in a way? Have you ever been like that with like, say a bad teacher or? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, this is what we, 
<clears throat> it's a little bit what we were talking about with the teenage rejection mm-hmm. of, of your defaults, actually. Like, whatever it is that is the normal and the default, you're like, what if I just don't do that? What yeah. if I do everything else apart from that? I, I, maybe our motivations came from different places, but um, definitely it's somewhere between like the, the high standard that you hold yourself to that you're talking about, the average of your company. It's like, okay, I can see that being um, a crazy, emotionally erratic dictator has worked for that person but at what cost? Like seeing all the costs that aren't considered to all the other people as well. And then also thinking, well, what if what if it's not good enough if it works? Like, yes, it works, but that's not enough. The, the mean, the mean, sorry, the... The payoff? Yeah, isn't, the payoff never justifies yeah. how you got to it. The how is always has to be the justification yeah. within itself. One, because there's no guarantee of the payoff, but also two, because that's the cheap and easy way out that means that you just bounce out of the situation and you leave all the cost and damage yeah. and collateral damage totally. behind you. But actually, if, if you're there for, for, if the thing itself is not the outcome, if the thing itself that you're there for is the work and the labor and the people, then at every moment you're doing the thing that you're there for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you're like, well, then I'm in the right place. Yeah. Actually. You can just tell. Like sometimes without over-intellectualizing it, you're just like, like, how do you do so? Why? And you're like, I don't know, I just do. Like I've done enough of the, I've done enough of the chasing the false careers and the, mm-hmm. I've had all the false motivations for long enough and been told, Sydney's a hard place to stick to your heart. Especially when you're um, not being able to pay rent. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And also people just glorify how popular you are or how many followers you have. And I feel... Sorry to interrupt you. No, no. Um, the one lucky thing about contemporary dance in Sydney is yes. that nobody gives a shit. That's very true, actually. <laughs> contemporary dance is very different. Whereas I, I did feel in Melbourne that there were groups and there were movements and people would care yeah somehow in sydney i get to go to chatswood and hang out with the boys that i break with i get to go to lily field and do some um acrobatic stuff or i get to go to ready made and make gifts yeah, yeah. with my friends but actually nobody has enough time <laughs> to worry about what it is that i'm doing yeah cool yeah that's also a, that's also a plus um yeah i find that I work in an industry where it's a lot like, you know, music video clips and things yeah, like that. Right. So it's a lot about, I get, I get approached so often to make music video clips about nothing. Like, you know, yeah, it's going to be like you and a bunch of girls, you're going to road trip. Yeah, it's almost always this. There's going to be a, a thing around a campfire at one point where you've all got the flares and you're running through. And then there's going to be one like milk bar that you go into and you're going to like, steal all this stuff and drop a carton of milk and all of you are going to run out and the guy's going to like, you know, it's just so generic. It's so weird and so 50s American. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing. People are always trying to be American in their their music video clips. Or like, yeah, you're going to dance in this thing and you're going to be in this whatever American apparel outfit or whatever. And you're just like, like, 
no one watches music video clips anymore unless you've pushed the boundary. So why are you wasting your time? Yeah. And don't waste mine. Because yeah. if you can't pay me, I'm not in this. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And pay is either in cash or as in that we are now part of a team that's working towards yep. something of value. I, I love art direction. Like, that's something I, I always love. So if something creatively yeah. has something to offer to me i will give you my services for free i'm like yeah i'll dance if you're gonna yeah. shoot this you know i'm yeah. down with that but it's like all within reason <laughs> like you know like it's all like is this actually gonna be something that i'm excited to be part of or that you asked me to do something really weird as far as dance goes that i've never done like yeah, yeah cool. cool but yeah that's why i liked that thing that we did after class and the gift project, how we're just like, okay, now we're going to try and work out what it's like to move like this person yeah, or this person. Yeah, so cool. So you like, know the other thing I liked about the gift thing, that freestyle performing. Yeah, for each other. <sighs> Damn, it's hard, huh? It's one of the hardest things ever. Because <laughs> you're like, holy shit, there's people watching me that think that maybe so far I've convinced that maybe I'm good or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're about to find out. <laughs> Totally. <laughs> and then they're probably all thinking the same thing. Or I don't know. I feel like everyone's thinking the same thing. Yeah. And then you just start dancing from a place of paddock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I swear dancers can sometimes be the worst freestylers because we've built this title up for ourselves as dancers. Yeah. So if you if you freestyle, you have to be amazing. And yeah, mm. there's oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah, it's a funny one. It is a funny. One. It's, all, it's just a nice way to be together. Yeah. I, I'm. That's a big thing for me. So next year, some goals for me, just as far as just personal as a dancer, like fun things I'd love to tick off, mm. would be to take the fear out of the more acrobatic mm. things that require agility, etc. And the second one, and so that involves things like going in and out of the floor, like contemporary stuff, because I love it. I did some stuff with Alice Robinson and I loved the floor work. I just, mm. I haven't been taught, that's all. Yeah. But upside down is like no go still. Um, <laughs> um, and the and the other one is to freestyle because I'm actually not as good at it as I probably used to be or maybe even that I think I am in that I'm really good at freestyling when I'm not under pressure. Mm. So if I'm on a dance floor and no one's watching, by the way, how annoying is it when everyone makes a scene out of you just being within like, a three meter radius of a dance floor. Watch Matt. He's like, he, watch Matt. Watch Matt. He's a dancer. Like, I can hear you. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, shit. Um, but yeah, like I can freestyle when I'm in the zone, and like mm. there's there's no one. bedroom dance. Well, it, it's just all very very easy to do. But once I perform for other people, even if they may think it's good, you know it's not good because it hasn't come from your heart. It's come from like we said, panic. So I'd love to do more of those sessions that we did yeah, yeah. at the gift thing. Yeah, um, right. Where you just each, you, you dance for each other, or you dance for yourself, but in front of each other, and you take turns. I did a the show that I did last week. There was a duet as part of it that myself and a girl called Miranda Ween yeah, yeah. constructed. And it's not the curry, The steps are not set, but there's a groove in that. There's a set of rules mm-hmm. that you're both working towards so that you can sink in and get little rides out of each other. It's kind of like somewhere between Contact Impro and Boring. Tango oh, or yeah, Flamenco, yeah. whatever, where like you're stepping under each other's feet. Yeah. But if your pelvises connect in a moment, then one of you can get a ride out of the other. And yeah. I think I've seen it where you do that sort of... Ah, oh, that was that, a different one. Oh, that's a different one. Okay, cool. But yeah, but yeah, basically, yeah, dancing 
with I called that one and that's mainly that was yeah there's still a set of rules and how do you click in and click out but there were shows there were five shows and maybe two or three I felt like maybe we were getting close to the the actual thing like being dancing with each other and then the others were just an attempt of on a constantly failing attempt in front of viewer viewers and then just knowing that it's not it's not working is it going I wonder if this will ever work because you've only got a certain amount of time to do it in and then the, the music finishes and the scene has to move on and the show continues and that scene just hasn't become. and do you feel people picked up on it or that was more internal I feel that the the skill set that you carry being professional mm-hmm. is that you can convince like you can maintain that people are convinced that you're a professional but when it really clicks in then all of that is forgotten and you and the viewers go somewhere else with it yeah true but yeah you can do the shittest thing like you can really fail yourself but still totally deliver yeah yeah i agree i think that's the other thing i really want to do more is perform again yeah because it's such a skill. It, yeah, it's an ultimate skill to be able to be watched. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a big one. I think that's what I did my whole life growing up. I think I was put off it because an Indian classical costume takes about three hours to put on. <laughs> and then you do it. I'm, but I'm not exaggerating. Really? Yeah, it right. literally. So you, you put your fake hair in. You put all your jewels in. You sew them in. You've got wow. your makeup. You've got your costume comes in about... 15 different pieces that you're safety pinning and you've got the belt and your anklets and then you paint your hands up. It takes about three hours. And I'd be at some sort of cultural fair down at like Murdoch Library out the front doing Mm. a dance for three minutes. And that was the end. And it was just, we just, and every temple every week, and we just did it without any second thought. Mm. And I think it got to a point where it was just like, oh my God. And I think that's a big part of what I associate with performing. Like it's an ordeal to get on stage and perform. Um, So I think I'm ready to get over that again. Awesome. Yeah. I'm going to India in December Mm. and I'm going to go back into classical indie dance and I'm going to make some sort of um, fusion piece. Like Indian stuff, but like maybe infused popping or something like that. I'm going to just play with it and just see. But in my grandparents' home. So that would be really cool, I think, to... To revisit that yeah it's a weird thing isn't it because it's not like you're fusing part of yourself with something of the other mm-hmm. actually these are both parts of yourself yeah it's like it's it feels like the most true to Vanessa that I could possibly be if I did pure Indian classical it wouldn't feel that pure to myself mm. so this just is my natural mm. way of moving also um, Indian fusion dance is celebrated in India. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's not something that people would find, like, people would love it. People love when Westerners come to India. People love when Westerners wear bindis. It's, like, literally, like, Indians like me that get angry when they see yoga or people wearing bindis. But Indians in India are so stoked to see, because they see Westerners as ultimate. Mm. Like, you know, like, so they're so high on a pedestal that, like, that person on a pedestal is wearing a bindi. That's so cool. Hmm. 
that's what that's how Indian culture is. So if you go to India, any of your friends would have said everyone stopped and stared. Everyone was so friendly. So I'm like, Indians mm. aren't that friendly to other Indians. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, my yeah, my friend especially, she had a like a ten month old baby with really blue eyes and white hair and. Apparently, like, they would go in to sit down at a restaurant and then the baby would just be taken back to the kitchen and, like, introduced to all the chefs and everything. Yeah. And they'd be like, where's my baby? Yeah. yeah. come back. Totally. Yeah, yeah. That's, like, a... It's very... It's, so, like, really naively glorified. Right. They don't see it as... um They don't see it as appropriation because they're not around it for long. They're just so honoured. Maybe every everything that's glorified comes from a place of naivety. Yeah. That's true. Um, so I swear it's I swear it's just girls and guys like me who are like Indo Western that find that stuff really yeah. um, infuriating. I sometimes wonder what the term would be for someone like me who wants to respect that I am not um, genetically of this land, but that I have no other home. Actually, Australia is my mm-hmm. home because I'm not whatever British or German or whatever that is. Yeah. Right. But at the same time, I understand that I am the ancestor of those people that have come here. But I am, like you said, Australian. Yeah. I don't know what the term is for that. Australia is so... We have such identity issues, don't we? (laughs) We have got, like, the worst. We are like the teenagers that are rejecting our Aboriginal... Um, past calling at us. We're like, no. Colonial past. Yeah, we're totally rejecting. Just rejecting all this past. I remember going to a... West Indies Festival in New York and being really um, embarrassingly so educated about like the variance in black culture in America because it's not when there's like Rush Hour or whatever the movie that comes over from Hollywood there's some white American and then there's a black American but it's not like a West Indies American right it's just like a white and a black. Yeah, it, isn't it funny how uh, people in Australia will call me black all the time? Whoa. All the time. They'd be like, yeah, because you're black. They'll call me the N-word, like, you my N-word. Holy shit. Yeah, all the time. I found it funny in Britain that India was referred to as part of Asia because I've yes. never considered Asia to start there. Yeah. I don't, I don't identify with that growing up in Australia. That's never been the case. Yeah. So now I just say brown, I guess. That's what, like, myself and... Well, we call ourselves curries, but I think it's one of those things that only we can call ourselves that. <laughs> the C word. Yeah, the C word. They're just like, yeah, curries. Just like, yeah, me and all my curry friends. And then Stephanie will be like, for someone so politically correct, can you say that? I was like, I've always said that my whole life. I think I can. Yeah. I think so. Where was like, oh, yeah, mum and dad threw a curry party, which, like, you know means, like, all your uncles and aunties and cousins. Yeah, and- right relatives just came but it's like our, only our generation of indo-western kids call it curry it's not like my mom calls it a curry party she just calls it a party <laughs> uh, um is there anything that you want to say i don't we think so covered? i think we've covered everything covered a lot no yeah. there's no way we've covered everything there's always going to be something that comes in afterwards. You're going to leave and then I'm going to just be like, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. <laughs> this, this life-shattering. This life, yeah. Mind-opening thing. Yeah. it's. Can I ask you something? If it's, yeah, from if about, this, like about this about this interview, I yeah. guess, in general. Was there anything that... 
surprise you or do you feel like I'm more or less the way someone who doesn't know me all that well would perceive me? Hmm. Because you know how you're talking about that idea of like listening to someone and hearing them out and being like, oh, well, versus mm. like, I didn't know this side about you or something. I don't know. Yeah. It's a little bit about coming in at peace with your own ignorance. Yeah. And without an agenda to solve this this person. Totally. Or something. Yeah, yeah. I remember there, there, there was someone I did uh, interview with them many years ago and it was just, it was quite shit. It was so shit that I'd never published it, but I still have it. And then maybe last year I did an interview with that same person and it flowed and it was beautiful. And what someone mentioned to me is that perhaps I was trying to unpack them or something. And right. so I, I think that's an agenda, trying to unpack so that you can break down, so that you can codify mm-hmm. and resolve and understand and set. And you kind of already have this sort of preconceived notion of what they're going to say, so you're trying to, like, lead them into that. And yes, yeah. Yeah. I have to... Because the reason I ask is because when you talk about, like, your motivations, and I, I guess I've touched on it a lot... Mm. Um, from seeing people who milk that marketing self-brand image, I'm very, I have a real complex about being perceived as someone who tries to work that angle and doesn't actually have integrity hmm. in the work that I do. Yeah. Because I, I see I see people who just kind of use it as like a bit of a banner. And that's, I, it's something that I time and time again, I'm very like, okay, check yourself, Vanessa. Like, are you actually helping? Check yourself. Like, yeah, you know. <laughs> So yeah, that's a that's a that's a big one um, that I'm always just like, oh yeah. Sometimes um, I am actually the voice of ignorance. Mm. Like when you're saying that it, it activates you when people are like shanti shanti, I'm like, okay, I don't know why it activates you. Like I'm so ignorant, I don't understand that being offensive or whatever or can you talk to me about that Mm -hmm. and so some in some ways it's like a practice of um vulnerability in your in learning Mm -hmm. and being like ah it's um (laughs) like nemo no what's his dad what's his Um, dad's name oh melon marlon marlon yeah it's merlin's the wizard isn't it (laughs) different one the turtle is giving him the jump procedure the little squish or whatever yeah yeah, yeah. and he's talking in a language that he doesn't understand yeah and he's like you're really cute but i have no idea what you're saying yeah that's right (laughs) and so i feel like a lot of the time i'm inviting myself into situations where i'm like i know that i you should you're someone that i want to listen to yeah and i'm not yet well versed enough to to already know what it is that yeah, you're yeah. dealing with or living through or maybe I've got an idea or maybe actually I have no idea but I'm excited by your excitement. Cool. Um, yeah, thanks for thinking of me as one of those people <laughs> worthy enough to potentially be good enough to interview. <laughs> I'm flattered. No, of course. I mean, you're doing something. I feel like it's... When there's a fire, I want to... People want to be close to the fire. Yeah, I'd hope so. Yeah. I feel like I'm attracting a lot of the right type of people Great. into my life as of these things that I've sort of tried to bring about, you know? Mm. I look, yeah, it just feels like 
to just get hit up by this disability organization and stuff mm. and to to get hit up by someone who works with homeless youth like you know yeah. like that's the stuff that makes me be like amnesty like to be hit up by those sorts of organizations you're just like wow as opposed to hit up by take five women's day who wanted exclusive rights to an interview where i couldn't tell that story to anyone else what? and i'm like no way you know i don't even know if yeah. i replied to that sunrise you know like all yeah. those um no there's crazy shit when parts of you become a commodified asset of something else oh like, it makes oh, you so angry helpful anymore i remember actually i was dancing for a choreographer called gavin weber at dance mm-hmm. north many years ago and every time there was a newspaper photo shoot or article or interview or whatever he would organize it and host it and run it but it was never him in the shot it was never the choreographer with the dancers all blurred around them or something it was never that because that wasn't i guess how he saw his role his role was to be the person who you don't see when you go and watch the dance show wow yeah and so yes now that I remember that, what you're saying before, have you ever worked for people and you're like, I will not do that or I will do, I definitely had decided, unless I'm in the show, whereby then I become face a face of the show, yep. then yes, I don't need to be in it. Cool. That's a cool thing to, to yeah. Yeah, it's like knowing knowing your job or knowing your role. Or, yeah. I've even liked to push that. I like once I went to pick up a carburetor from a truck yard for my mum's Mustang and I needed to take it somewhere else. And I drove in, I was borrowing my friend's car and I was wearing quite flamboyant outfit because I'd just been at dance class. And it's like this 70-year-old, real weathered white truck driver and like um, in between Brisbane and Gold Coast. And, and I just walk into the yard and I'm like, all right, fake it till you make it. Pretend like you belong here. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> and you walk into the shed and you like lean on the wall and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you just, you don't, well, it's taken me a long time to realize is not to try and conform but to assume i know this sounds dumb from like uh educated healthy white male privilege but to assume that you belong there as much as they do yeah because being a male dancer in darwin not not like a cultural dancer because white culture is somehow not a cultural dance yeah um yeah like rocking into a truck yard wearing a Totoro t-shirt and but also saying that you're there to pick up your mum's carburetor um and then asking them and listening to their story about you know the load that they couldn't get the tarp on properly or whatever and then telling them about how you just spent the day with a bunch of dancers composing music for them or whatever and assuming that that is the way that things are done yeah yeah not apologizing for it never apologizing but also, like, quite possibly opening up yourself yeah. for uh, ridicule or dismissal or whatever yeah. because you don't actually belong there. Yeah. But, yeah, it's not, uh, yeah I don't know. Even I found um, producing that show for Next Wave Festival mm. and people being like, so are you a producer? Like, actually, I'm a dancer too. Like, what kind of dance do you do? And, like, sort of, like, puffing your chest out and owning the fact that you're like, I'm a hip-hop dancer. <laughs> it's just like you can feel them like just shudder a little bit but you're like you know what of it 
Um, That's so weird. I've been at I've been at a, a networking event where you, we literally had someone from the rugby, like a C, some chairman of the rugby league, and we had mm-hmm. lawyers, people who owned a someone who was like the CEO of a building company. It was a networking event um, mm-hmm. for fundraising for an arts organization. And when we went around the circle and everyone introduced themselves, and it got to me. Mm. I was just like, yeah, so I teach dance classes. And someone goes, well, what kind of dance classes? And I was like, oh, like, this is just not my audience. (gasps) But I just said it. I was like, oh, well, I run these hip-hop dance classes for, like, the everyday person. But I also run – and it's actually kind of nice to be like, I also run community programs. And everyone's like, wow. And, like, four of those people ended up coming afterwards and giving me their business cards and being like, well, we need community programs like this with our company. Yes, that was cool. Like, so there's – I find that – I'm, that's another thing. The more integrity that you feel what you do has, yeah. no matter how much it does not fit into that circle of friends, you can kind of hold your head up high and be yeah. like, this is what I do. Yeah. And then it's about doing the same in response. It's about totally understanding that my dad is exactly as racist as he was raised. Yeah. And that I am not to browbeat him and re-educate him. Yeah. But I am to be with him and not encourage. Like, I haven't worked that out yet. Yeah. But the people are exactly, like, they are, they are exposing and vulnerable of themselves by having you, who is not part of their world, they're with them, and you need to give them, you need to assume that you and them are the same. I'm, I very much feel that way um, with this Trump thing. I feel like there's so much them and us and there's so much othering. There's so there's a, there's this mentality of like if you're a Trump supporter, you are a redneck, you are a racist, you are a misogynist. When so many of these people economically are going through such a hard time and they want to send their kids to college and they feel like they've been neglected time and time again by the system. Mm. And there's this person who's like they don't necessarily agree with all of his no. his values. But he's just not the face of the system that's been failing them. Totally. It's like a vote for commerce over government. Yeah. And then and and at the same time, all of us lefties and us minorities and who have got these open-minded views will not open our mind up to the other side. We'll only have our own views and we'll express them by beating down on those people and mm. telling them how, oh, look at that poor woman who doesn't even know how valued how how to value her gender and look at that redneck over there who's so racist like that's what they are those people are so and then in the same way that they class all muslims as one and Mm. i just feel like we do the same to them when there's like just a lot of honest american people i know this from firsthand meeting a a a one nation supporter someone Mm. who voted for pauline hansen who is one of the most gentle lovely people who just made through a mixture of misinformation and through yeah. his honest Australian values, there are just some things that she says that just he just gave up. He doesn't trust Liberal or Labor anymore. He used to vote for them and just is exasperated and done. And there are just some... It's not that I'm saying like, oh, I get it now, but it's like... <laughs> but there was... No, the, it's we what we talked it. about where you talk about humanising these people yeah. and getting to know them on an individual level yeah. and being like, oh, you, you're, just, you're just people who through walking in the shoes that you have have come to these conclusions about the world and a lot of those conclusions are very logical in those shoes yeah in those shoes yeah yeah. there's um an essay i just finished reading from a blog called melting asphalt and it is talking about the benefits of 
merit-based beliefs and social-based beliefs, beliefs, and that a person can hold counter beliefs, but one of them has a social function of keeping them fed or housed or within a group or cohesive to a society. And so they continue with that belief, even while knowing that it doesn't have merit. Yeah, right. And that, cool. And that it still has a function yeah. in our society and in their lives um, to believe something that everybody knows is not true. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Yeah, I just, yeah, I feel like we're not getting anywhere by... Othering. Yeah, by othering. We do it. It's so funny for how progressive we are, we think we are, and how open-minded our generation thinks we are. Mm. We're, we're only open-minded if the opinion of the other person is exactly like ours. <laughs> There's an excellent podcast by Damien Power yeah. um, called Power to the People. He's a stand-up comedian. And he was talking about... Um, I'll link to it anyway, but he was talking about yes, Karl Marx, do. who wrote this leftist manifesto, and it was about the unemployed um, miners and factory workers, and that was the left, yeah. and now that's become the right, um, because the left are too busy browbeating each other about uh, language. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't that so true? Yeah. Isn't that so true? Yeah, so that- on that political correctness and stuff, I just think everyone needs to chill out. Just meet each other, mm. go into these communities, stop writing your statuses. <laughs> uh, if you really have to write them, but like go out, meet these people, yeah. give them a chance, you know. I remember I was with um, Benji Ra. We were yeah. walking past uh, a bunch of guys in high vis and they drilled out a bunch of rock and I stopped to ask this guy what the layers of rock was. And Benji was really like, why, why are we stopping? Why are we talking to these people? Because obviously Benji's received a different interaction with people that are dressed and act and are employed like yeah. that than I have. Yeah. Um, but, the, but then I, being more in Benji's world than in their world, take on that othering even when I still look the same as what I have now othered. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so somehow, maybe with the face that I wear, but the company that I keep, I have a power. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. To... That's kind of cool. Yeah, to humanise or something. I don't know. I hope. I'm doing this duet at the moment with um, a guy called Joshua Thompson that we start on Monday in Frankston and it, it's been called The Blokes Project so far and it's really like, okay, how how do I listen to all these people around me telling me that, I, that we're othering and that we're racist and that we're not progressive and stuff, but how do I also not completely disown everything that I have come from? Yeah. Uh, where is the how how is it that i can make space for white men to be what they need to be so that they can allow everybody else to be what they need to be totally because i i don't know how that's really important belief that it's like it's the ultimate repression of self-repression of how to be a white man that causes white men to shit on everybody else yeah i think i think i see stefan and a lot of his friends struggle with that like there's like this whole thing where it's like oh if you're a white privileged male then you're a bad person like you know and there's this weird guilt that comes out of it and like every second sentence is like well i think this but of, of course like I'm, this is coming from being a, a white privilege because you because people have just robbed you of any ability to just have 
um, and opinion or feelings because you're a white privileged man. I just, I, I don't know. I, I'm so sick of it. It's just so counterproductive. Yes. Let's talk about it all and let's just be friends and love each other, you know, if you're a good egg or not. <laughs> There's plenty of minorities who are dicks. Like, just because on a human level, that person is a dick. <laughs> you know? Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's, I, I've been trying to think about what, it, what would be like a folk dance that people that people do who are not learning it because they've lived in one place their whole time and they're not learning it linearly through mm-hmm. their ancestors and they're not learning it because that is their it's related to their skin tone or their skin group or their ethnic background or whatever but there must be a, a dance that a bunch of us are doing around the world because it's globalized now a way for us to be in our bodies that is almost acting like a folk dance but it's like this is it the fist pump <laughs> to trance music <laughs> I think it's the fist pump oh, or the finger point. No. I think that's uh, the fish. Shit. <laughs> yeah, maybe it is. But it, yeah. Is it phones in the air? Is that the new folk dance? No. I think it's phones in the air. But that's still watching something. No, no, but even that thing, oh, you know, right, it, it's, no the new, it's the new lighters smoking. in the air. <laughs> it's the phones in the air. That's our new folk dance. Oh, shit. I, was, I thought maybe. That's pretty universal. Show. It's sad. Like I know that you're trying to like get me to say something really like amazing to make our to make our generation seem more profound than we are. But no, I, I just a- think about there's moves that exist in my body that I didn't learn from my ancestors or cultural heritage uh-huh. or whatever, and then I do those moves and then teach them or put a video up on Snapchat or Vine or whatever of me doing them, then other people learn them. And there's like, at one level, that's appropriation. On another level, that's a shared dance culture that's mm. happening around the world. Is that like the whip and the nene? Maybe, yeah, like yeah. At, at a more, at that level. And then... Because there's party dances that go with dab, that goes with the song, doesn't it? Doesn't yeah. dab. There's a there's another one, Juju on the Beat. Juju on the Beat, My refugee yeah. girls taught me that. Oh, really? Yep, yep. Yeah. <laughs> there's and so then, more with it than me. Yeah. 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 Yeah, maybe there's something like that. It's like actually our shared cultural heritage is no longer trapped in one place. Yeah. It's no longer come at us um, hierarchically through time. Yeah. It comes at us from all directions, from anyone we're willing to listen to about yeah. it. There's, <clears throat> there's an amazing thing that I don't know all the details about, but I did Army Cadets when I was a teenager. And that band that goes around the hat of the Australian Defence Force that's got the three layers on one side and four layers on the other side yeah is referential of the sheiks i think um that were the allies of the australian defense force when we were fighting in egypt at one point wow and so there would be people who do not realize that the thing that they are wearing on their hat with patriotic pride is a reference of a bond with the people that they then may go and um, kill. other others or <laughs> kill or whatever yeah, yeah. yeah so there's amazing things like that throughout history it's like a, li- a step back and then a little step back and then another step back and you're like oh this problem wasn't always like this we didn't always think this about each other but then at the at the same time I was talking to someone about how sad war is I was like I feel like I've been reading the news too much I'm so sad about this and he's one of the most compassionate giving guys I know mm. and he goes but Ness also remember that war on horrific levels has been happening since the beginning of humanity forever 
Is there less now than there used to be? Probably. I would say there is. From what I read, yeah. And because people are starting to work out, it's almost always more beneficial and more profitable to just trade with a nation than to start a war and take the stuff. Yeah. It always costs you more to go to war. Yeah, totally. So, yeah. Maybe Trump will save the day because that's what he's all about, trade. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm kind of in a weird, twisted way excited to see what he does. Yeah, it's because no one knows. No one. I don't think he's going to affect any of the dumb one-off sentences he said. I just think there's too many layers. Too many. Too many layers of people and bureaucracy. Yeah, between him and action. And and a wall. And a wall. (laughs) I just... I just don't. I just don't think he can do it. Um, so I'll be interested to see what he can and whether that will actually benefit America's economy and bring a lot of the business. But I, I, I'm really intrigued. That's all you can be at this point. <laughs> yeah. yeah um, right. Any other? Any other wisdom to finish up? Uh, sorry, that's the end. <laughs> that's the end of the wisdom. That's the end of the wisdom, and good luck editing this. <laughs> No, I think it's just, I think like I said, it was, it just sort of, a lot of it was born organically, you know, and then once you get a taste for it, that's how you start being like, now I want to help refugees, let's write a proposal up, now I want to, you know, a lot of it, yeah. Life and luck. And, and as far as epiphanies go, like rejecting dance as a career and then having it come to me by accident because Mm -hmm. nothing else was working out. Yeah, that would be it, really. Great. Yeah. Thanks, Vanessa. High five. Thanks for the interview.